Hello and welcome to the Seems Legit Podcast, hosted by your favorite craft beer drinking, whiskey sipping, bourbon appreciating, sushi eating, steak craving, speedo wearing, tell it like it is, poker playing guitarist, the dude himself, the dude sanity. Want to thank you all, uh, as always, for the continued and growing support uh, on the Seems Legit podcast. Uh, really means a lot to me. Big shout out uh, to all our friends of the podcast. We got the Vegas Squares podcast down in Vegas. Uh, sports talk by sports fans for sports fans. Check them out. Uh, down in Fayetteville, Georgia, we got Zero Gravity Games. Please go and see them for any of your used, rare, and vintage gaming needs you might have. Up here in Winnipeg, we've got Selfix Doctors, located at 666 St. James Street. Please visit them for any cell phone, tablet, and screen repair needs you might have. We've also got Skin Dimensions Tattoos, uh, located here in Winnipeg, right on Cordon Avenue, Cordon Avenue beside Bar Italia. Go see um, Kelly and Glenn for any of your tattooing needs, and Claire for any and all of your piercing needs. I uh, also want to thank B-Boys Honey, uh, locally made sourced honey here in Manitoba. Delicious, uh, great product, and uh, can't say enough good things about it. You can find them in a variety of stores. Check them out. Uh, my favorite is the Cinnamon Honey. All right, we're back after a break. Uh, I was down in Hawaii uh, with my uh, amazing, amazing uh, girlfriend, Jess, uh, and, uh, there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, beautiful time, beautiful place, but I am happy to be home and happy to be back here doing the podcast. Uh, so we'll save the Hawaii talk. I want to jump into something, um, a little more, uh, prevalent, I guess right now, and that's the hockey playoffs. Playoffs are well underway now. The first round has just wrapped up. I was in Hawaii uh, for pretty much all of it. So uh, let's. I want to recap that, discuss some of the storylines, some of the interesting storylines, uh, break down the second round for you, and uh, now that I think everybody's playoff bracket has been destroyed, uh, make my predictions for the rest of the playoffs. So let's get into it. Uh, the first round of the playoffs this year uh, produced upset after upset after upset. Not a single division winner won. So all four division winners were eliminated by wildcard teams. Calgary lost to Colorado. Uh, Nashville lost to Dallas. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Washington lost to Carolina. And the big, bad, mighty Tampa Bay Lightning, everybody's uh, pick... Or not everybody's, but I should say kind of the consensus or general favorites to win the cup uh, were swept in the first round by the absolute long shot, the dead last seed in the playoffs, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Let's, I guess, start with that series, and then we can kind of move on from there. But uh, anyway, yes, so the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, swept the Tampa Bay Lightning in uh, the opening round, uh, four nothing. The craziest thing about that series to me is that Tampa Bay was up three nothing in Game One, and who would have known going into that uh, intermission that that would be about as good as it would get for Tampa Bay for the rest of the series? Um, I think for the rest of it, from that moment on, they were outscored something like seventeen to three. So. I mean, it's uh, it goes to t- speak for itself. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky was an absolute beast in the uh, Columbus net. Uh, Matt Duchesne played like the player. Uh, I think we all, at least I've always known he could be. Um, he's been one of those players that, I mean, at times looks like an absolute world destroyer and at times looks like he's just done. Uh, but it was nice to see him step up. And they surprised the shit out of me. I kept saying Tampa Bay ain't getting out of the first round. No matter who they were playing, they weren't getting out of the first round. And uh, I guess I might have forgotten that John Tortorella is their coach or what, but man, did he rally those troops. And boy, 
boy, oh boy, were uh, they able to get in there and kick some ass. And it basically was, it stopped almost even being close at a certain point. Uh, and they just took complete control of the series. And it's amazing because I've long said that the Columbus Blue Jackets were the big losers of the trade deadline. And they are down now one nothing to Boston, but they played very well. And I'm not too concerned. Who knows what could happen in that series. They get past Boston now. It almost becomes a bit of an easier sell for some of those players, I think, to maybe take discounts to keep the core together. Um, I'm surprised and happy at the same time about how well that main core of players have come, uh, Bobrovsky, Panarin, uh, Dzingle, and uh, Duchesne uh, for Columbus. Uh, considering Columbus basically gave away the farm to bring that pack together, uh, knowing they're all UFAs at the end of this year. Um, but, I mean, their general, uh, their general manager, Yarmo Kikalainen, maybe he knew what he was doing. Uh, John Tortorella, I guess, has proven his value as an elite, elite level coach. And as such, uh, yeah, I mean, Columbus has moved on. <coughs> so from that one, I don't know how surprising it is for Tampa Bay, as I didn't have them even getting out of the second round this year. I did have them originally getting eliminated by Boston in the second round. So whether it happened in the first round or the second round, I didn't imagine Tampa Bay getting too far. Um, someone had told me that John Cooper might, uh, recently signed uh, an extension. I don't know about that. I've just, I've, I've never been that impressed at, at giving John Cooper that kind of nudge as being one of those elite level coaches in the NHL. I think he's a decent coach. I think he can get teams to a certain point, but kind of becomes almost like Todd McClellan was in, um, in San Jose uh, Peter DeBauer in, uh, or did Peter DeBauer win a cup before he got to San Jose? I forget where, trying to, I'm drawing a blank on where DeBauer was from. Um, but anyway, John Cooper just is one of those guys that seems to not make the right coaching decisions. He can't win coaching battles. And I think it showed. And I think it showed that when he's faced with an elite level coach, he gets out coached, his teams get outworked. And uh, they dropped the series. It was last year with Barry Trotz in Washington. Um, <clears throat> I remember when they made it to the cup final against uh, Chicago and they got badly outcoached by Quenville. And that was that kind of disaster. As I've said, it's always kind of loomed over Tampa Bay, Andre Vasilevsky, and Ben Bishop, where Ben Bishop basically played the Stanley Cup final on one leg because Cooper had such little confidence in Vasilevsky. Uh, but now they try to paint Vasilevsky as this world beater. I've never seen it in Andre Vasilevsky. He puts up. There's our moments when he looks great. Don't get me wrong, but I've ne I've always had trouble giving him the credit as being the top goalie or in that top goalie conversation in the NHL. Uh, so that's just me. I think he's been blessed with with a great team in Tampa Bay. I think that team easily in a regular season does win. You know, somewhere between 58 to 62 wins. I think that's very doable for them. Uh, but if you're Tampa Bay, I don't know because, and we'll get into this about the coaching. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but nonetheless, I think there's some coach, some coaching concerns there. Uh, Scott, Steve Eisman's no longer the general manager in Tampa Bay. Uh, he built the team and left and now he's in Detroit, which is kind of interesting. Um, Ken Holland stepped back, uh, which a lot of people thought, you know, maybe Holland's job might've been in danger. I think bringing in someone fresh and the way they're doing it in, in Detroit is nice, uh, that way, there's it's kind of a natural progression. Ken Holland keeps some dignity. 
Uh, he was there to build those Stanley Cup teams and those contending teams for so long. And now you're bringing back a hero, the longtime face of a franchise, um, a player that my generation grew up watching, uh, and Stevie Eiserman. So that's kind of cool, especially now as I, you know, as people in my generation are now in that having kids. Um, years, kids are, you know, the kids are getting old enough to take to hockey games, to follow hockey. It's kind of interesting to be able to tell those stories. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, after being on the plane for that long, I seem to have, uh, on the way back from Rwanda, picked up a bit of a dry cough. So hopefully that isn't too much of a pain in the butt today on the podcast. But anyway, Tampa Bay and Columbus, uh, Columbus got through that one, swept Tampa Bay for nothing. Uh, in the other Eastern Conference sweep, we had uh, the Islanders getting past Pittsburgh, which I had also predicted, I believe, uh, the Islanders to get past Pittsburgh. I just said now Barry Trotz, ha- you know, it's a Barry Trotz coach team. This is a Barry Trotz who's had success against Pittsburgh, who just beat them last year, got Washington over that hump. And right now he might be the hottest coach in the league. Uh, I, that series seemed to just fly under everybody's radar and was done before people, I think, even realized it began. Uh, the interesting thing there, as I said, is how Barry Trotz has managed to get the most out of an Islanders team that was expecting to have John Tavares. So, um, it, it's just, it's amazing what's happened there. Uh, it does break some questions. I mean, lest we forget now, two years ago, uh, Pittsburgh had just won their second of back-to-back cups. Uh, last year was the second round exit this year, first year. I don't know if it's a sign of, you know, the times are changing. There's more convergence in the league. Uh, the other teams are just getting better. Maybe that core is getting a little older. I do think there could be some moves made to keep the team relevant. I think up front, I don't think they're prepared to lose some of those pieces, but I could see on the back end, maybe some moves to just bolster the lineup up a little bit. Uh, Matt Murray and net. Uh, The big thing to be focused on there is that Matt Murray did not have back-to-back playoff runs on their back-to-back cups. Um, Marc-Andre Fleury kind of unceremoniously had the net kind of ripped away from him uh, when Murray came back from injury that year. Uh, And and many people, myself included, felt Marc-Andre Fleury might have single-handedly got them to the cup final that second second year. Uh, So, and I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury played in three straight cup finals. He got Vegas there last year. So... Uh, maybe it it does show that you know Matt Murray might um, be getting a little bit exposed as a goalie. Who knows? It does happen where play where goalies go on a hot run in the playoffs, and then that kind of is their thing. Cam Ward in Carolina. Uh, now he's found a great job uh, behind Corey Crawford in Chicago. I don't know how long that's going to last, but we'll see. But nonetheless, the Islanders moved on, uh, sweeping uh, Pittsburgh. <laughs> in the other two uh, matchups, we had Toronto and Boston. Uh, Toronto showed again that they do have some kind of mental hurdle there in getting past Boston, which I predicted. Um, and I don't think too many people are that surprised. I think on paper, Toronto should get past Boston. It's a psychological thing. Boston moved on. I'm not really surprised there. I don't know if it's a personnel issue in terms of players. Um, there's a lot of talk there about uh, on the back end uh, with Jake Gardner, I think it is, um, and his issues. Maybe they move him. Uh Kadri taking that penalty and the suspension for the rest of the first round. That's a big loss in the middle. And you can't have such a role-playing player uh, take those kind of suspensions and, you know, play such undisciplined, nasty hockey. And I think there's going to be a big sit down there with management and Kadri about his behavior. Uh, And who knows, maybe now to clear up space, I don't know if you move him. But again, to move him... You need to be bringing in pieces that keep you at that same level. Actually make you better. Every team has that window. 
And sometimes when that window's starting to close, you got to be careful here. Babcock is in his fourth year, um, lest we forget, in Toronto. Uh, they brought him in for that first year of rebuild. They kind of imploded that team a little bit and moved everybody. And then, uh, like, that first line that he had that first year, I think, was Bozak, Van Riemsdyk, and Phil Kessel. Um, and then they won the draft lottery. They got Austin Matthews. The rest is history. Oh, no, I guess they wouldn't have had Phil Kessel anymore. I don't think they had Kessel. I think he was already in uh, Pittsburgh. Trying to do the math here in my head. Yes, years one and two would have been Pittsburgh's back-to-back cups. Year three would have been Washington's and year four this year. So, yeah. Uh, so, no, they didn't have Kessel anymore, I don't think. Uh, they got they lost him in that offseason, I believe. Anyway, um, I think it's tough, though, with Quenville now being in Florida and the Joel Quen the Joel Quenville cloud was kind of hanging over a lot of coaches and two in particular, in my opinion, maybe even three now that I really think about it. But with a guy like Quenville, who's arguably the most successful coach of kind of this era right now, uh, in terms of Stanley cups, winning three cups with Chicago, it's kind of, it was, it was a bit of a thing. I think Quenville's won multiple cups, even beyond that, I, think, I believe he was there in 96 with Colorado as an assistant coach as well. And then he got the head coaching job with St. Louis. But regardless, Joel Quenville's a hell of a coach. Uh, very smart man. Very successful. Very accomplished coach. <coughs> and when you have an elite level coach, it's hard to take a step back. It's hard to just hire somebody new. As we saw in Washington, I think that was the big thing there. was There was a bit of a coaching drop there in terms of skill and talent um, as well as experience. But, uh, and I could see a coaching change in Washington this year. I could see that being the case in this offseason. Uh, regardless, um, where was I going to say? Yes, with Quenville hanging over the, uh, kind of his cloud over a lot of teams there, all of a sudden, Mike Babcock being eliminated in Toronto could lead to him going and Quenville being brought in. It is a progression. It is kind of that next level or at least the same level coach. To let go of a guy like Mike Babcock, you have to think, who are we going to hire that with this talent pool of players can win and do more than Babcock could? I don't know. I think Toronto has some issues uh, that they really need to address. I think there are some tough conversations that are going to be happening uh, over the next couple of weeks with uh shanahan dubas and babcock i would not want to be in the room for those conversations but uh, they have to happen they will happen and who knows what it leads to i mean who knows uh toronto's got a lot of issues um signing signing nylander to the money they did when they did puts a lot of stress now when you look at other pending ufas uh namely mitch marner who could decide that, hey, I was, you know, leading point getter on the team. I want, show me the money. Uh, if he takes a discount, I expect him to demand at least uh, Matthews slash Tavares money. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens in Toronto. I think if they lose Marner, you could maybe see Babcock um, take a walk as well. I think, and I've said this before on the show here, Brendan Shanahan is a no-nonsense kind of guy, and he was brought into Toronto to be a no-nonsense kind of guy, and kind of has been this whole time. And I think of all the people that are in those kind of roles, Shanahan is not afraid to fire anybody. And I think if he saw that, hey, guess what? Babcock isn't going to do what we need him to do. Maybe he could let him go. Um, Don't get me wrong. I don't think a guy like Mike Babcock stays unemployed too long. 
Um, he's still at that upper top three, top four coaches. Um, so it, it's just, it's interesting to see there, but nonetheless, Boston moved on. Toronto's again, sent packing in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, so we'll see how that goes there. <coughs> and last but not least, Washington blowing a two, nothing series lead, then blowing a three, two series lead, and then blowing a two, nothing, um, game lead in game seven, losing in overtime where I think they only managed one shot in a period and a half of overtime. Hope you made something like 40 saves in, in overtime alone. It was ridiculous. Nonetheless, the Carolina hurricanes upset my beloved favored Washington capitals. We will not have a repeat this year of cup champions. Um, and as such, uh, a brand new champion this year. Now, um, there are teams left that have won the cup before, but we're going to a new champion this year. Uh, or a non-repeating champion. That kind of takes care of the Eastern Conference. I don't know what to say really about the Washington case. I think that was a coaching, as I've said before. I think there's a big drop in skill level and experience level between Barry Trotz to the new and current uh, Washington coach. And depending who's available in the next in the coming weeks and going into the summer, we'll see if Washington does pull the trigger and uh, maybe make a coaching change. I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of just arbitrarily telling, saying I like people to lose their job. That's not it at all. It's just a matter of these are the tough decisions that come in the business of hockey. Um, either that <coughs> or, again, sit down, game plan, and let's move on from there. Uh, Washington was kind of an interesting story because they never really had a Stanley Cup hangover that a lot of teams talk that they talk about. Yeah, Columbus jumped out to the division lead early on, but it wasn't like Washington was ever kind of looming around at the bottom of the conference. They were always in the picture and just kind of steadily hung around. Um, and maybe it was just a lot of hockey. Who knows? But Carolina moved on. Uh, Rod Brindamore is the coach there. Uh, Justin Williams, Mr. Game 7, former Consmite Trophy winner. Uh, as their captain so it'll be interesting to see what happens there it'll be cool if if Carolina wins that'll be two different Stahl brothers winning a cup with the same team at different times so that'll be kind of interesting to watch and keep an eye on there uh, but that sets up interesting matchups in the east we've got uh, Boston now against Columbus and Carolina against the Islanders uh, in the western conference the first round was a little bit interesting um because uh, I got one prediction right. I did predict Colorado would get past Calgary. I thought they'd get past them relatively easily, and they did. Calgary got exposed, I think, for their size, their experience, and uh, their goaltending issues. Um, I think it was Mike Smith's kind of stole game one, and then that was it. Colorado just took over. Um, Nathan McKinnon has shown that when he went, now that he's kind of found his game, found his stride, has been labeled the guy in Colorado and able to do his thing. He's a world beater. Um, I was looking at him at speed in times. I was in my head comparing him to McDavid. The broadcasters were comparing him to McDavid. He's just a hell of a player. Um, that series starts, uh, their second round starts tonight, uh, where they play San Jose, who came back uh, down 3-1 to one in the series to Vegas, who was my pick to win the Western Conference, and beat them. Uh, it wasn't without controversy. Uh, that five-minute pa uh, major penalty did end up being the difference maker in that series, or in that game at least. Uh, and then uh, San Jose ended up coming back down from 3 nothing in the game to win the series in overtime. Uh, I said this um, to uh, one of my buddies, Anthony Token Tony, that... 
The problem I have with that is, yes, a penalty did change the outcome of a game. And since then, actually, the NHL has issued an apology to the Vegas Golden Knights and also said that those two refs will not be refereeing in the second round. Or the officials from the uh, from that game will not be involved in the second round of the playoffs. So at least the NHL recognizes that, hey, you know what, there was, there was a wrong happening. Doesn't change anything. It's not like they're going to go, are they going to replay game seven and be like, hey, you know what, we owe this to Vegas. Let's start overtime up again, or let's pick up from 10 minutes left in the third period up 3 nothing. I mean, that's the ultimate thing you'd like to see done. Uh, unfortunately, the world doesn't work like that. Um, and San Jose did move on. I think it was just an unfortunate penalty there that cost them game seven. However, Vegas has to look at it this way. You can't blow a 3-1 to one series lead and then, oh, it's the ref's fault when you lose in game seven. You had two chances to close out the series. Like, let's be honest here. You had two chances to close out the series before you faced your own elimination game. And now you want to blame everybody else. I, um, I just, I, I have a hard time buying that kind of rhetoric. Uh, I think good on San Jose for showing that the old guys still have it. Um, but it's, it is what it is. And I'm sad to see my beloved Golden Knights eliminated, but it happened. So that sets up a second round matchup between Colorado and San Jose. That's a very interesting one to me. Growing up my entire life, Colorado was my favorite team. I got really excited when they had brought uh, Patrick Waugh back as their head coach. Um, as well, uh, and, and the run they had his first year there, I thought, hey, we're back to being good again. Then they kind of sucked for a while there. Now it appears they found some stride. They had some ups and downs throughout the season this year. Uh, but they got themselves in the playoffs. They did it using the formula I said you have to. You can't go worse than 8-0-2 and, 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 and leapfrog teams. Uh, they went 8-0-2, and, and, and they leapfrogged a bunch of teams and made the playoffs. So that's what happens. Colorado's in and off to the second round against San Jose. The other Western Conference uh, road was the, uh, was the one through the Central, which got completely blown apart for me. Um, I believe I did have Nashville beating Dallas. Uh, setting up that second round matchup between uh, Winnipeg and and then Winnipeg beating um, St. Louis, setting up a rematch of last year and a winnable matchup for Winnipeg. Uh, Winnipeg didn't have their shit together at the end of the year, blowing a six point cushion or a three point cushion with six, whatever it was, with three games in hand. I remember the three games in hand. I remember at least a three point lead. I think they had a six point lead with three games in hand at one point, and they blew it to lose the division. I kept singing. The, the Dallas matchup was the better division. But people found this false sense of security in the narrative that Winnipeg went 3-1 and one against St. Louis. And I had said, Winnipeg played St. Louis when St. Louis was still crap. They played St. Louis before St. Louis had Jordan Binnington. Jordan Binnington has been the entire story of the 2019 part of the NHL season. He very well might steal the Calder Trophy away from Elias Peterson over in Vancouver. He very well might, and well, he's not in Vezina conversation, um, but had he played a full season and put up those kind of numbers, would have been. Um, has been hot as hell and won game one against uh, Dallas last night. Uh, so Winnipeg, so people, fans and everybody think it was wishful thinking and, oh, our beloved Jets and, oh, our Jets can beat anybody kind of rhetoric and thinking. And I think it got a lot of people into trouble. I even made the prediction out of sentimentality. I remember going back and forth that we can go back and listen to that episode of the, po of the podcast, but I remember going back and forth on it myself saying, I just don't know if they're going to do it. And then I said, you know what? I just got to cheer with my home team here and pick them to move on. 
Um, I'm not going to say, oh, but I really knew. No, I picked Winnipeg. I thought they might be able to dig deep and get their shit together. They didn't. Um, and pretty much the whole series, St. Louis looked like the better team and played like the better team and won. Um, as I've said, though, matchups make everything. And I thought Nashville actually had a favorable matchup against Dallas. I thought Dallas was one of the, in one of those weird precarious places where the, they just weren't, there was nobody they really could beat. Their best matchup was probably Winnipeg. And I, at least that's what I thought. And I thought, but they still probably lose in six games to Winnipeg, but they have competitive, they look competitive doing so. At the end, I was wrong. Uh, Dallas kind of relatively easily got past Nashville in six games. And then, uh, so now they play St. Louis. That's an interesting series. <coughs> um, and if Dallas moves on, it's kind of a redemption story for a lot of players. So it's really just interesting to see how that's working. Jason Spezza, of all people, scored last night. Uh, Spezza now is buried on that fourth line in Dallas, but he got a goal last night. Uh, so just interesting to see how that's played out. Uh, with that being said, as I said, there was this uh, some coaching decisions there to be made. Winnipeg is one uh, where I think I think Paul Maurice um, is going to be having is is going to be finding employment with another team next year. I think that's the right move, kind of for everybody. I think it's the right move for Maurice. I think it's the right move for the Jets. I know he loves Winnipeg. I know he loves being the Jets coach. I know Winnipeg's taken very fondly to him. I remember Winnipegers even um, really liked uh, the last guy we had uh, before Maurice. As he was leaving, I forget what he was, but he was entertaining as hell in the press conferences. Claude Noel. Um, wait, Claude Noel, I think it was. Was it Claude Noel? Something Noel. And um, whatever his name. Yeah, Noel was the last name. Uh, I want to say it was Claude Noel. Uh, but anyway, Noel uh, was the coach before uh, Maurice. He was an entertaining guy, and and I mean, came across as quite likable when he was done his time here. Like he finished off living out the season in Winnipeg, and then said, "Yeah, I'll move to you know, then I'll go and move back down to Arizona, wherever it is he lives." Um, him and Winnipeg just him and his wife just kind of liked Winnipeg, and he really liked Winnipeg, and I think he was put in a tough position with a shitty team in a shitty in a in a difficult division. And difficult circumstances and did the best he could with it. He had no NHL experience. I think he was the Moose head coach before that. True North and the guys there were trying to be loyal to him and give him a shot. And I appreciate that. And Winnipeggers liked him by the end. They were like, you know, he's a nice, likable guy. Just wasn't a good enough coach. And Maurice has done a great job with the Jets. A phenomenal job with the Jets. Getting them to a Western Conference Final. Problem is, and it showed this year, that sometimes the message just gets a little stale. And sometimes coaches can be there, like any athlete, like any professional, you can be your own worst enemy and you let your ego get in the way. And I just think maybe the message that Maurice has been using with the Jets this season has gotten a little dated, a little tired, and everybody needs a fresh approach. Um, the Jets have some interesting um, free agents this year in both um, Kyle Connor and Patrick Laine. Uh, as well as some decisions to make about other players. Uh, Tyler Myers, I believe, is a UFA. Uh, Jacob Truba is a restricted free agent. <coughs> and they also have some great... They have two young guys in the system ready to go. Sammy Niku and Tucker Pullman. And I think with Niku and Pullman ready to go, it alleviates some of that pressure to keep Myers and Truba, um, both of them. Um, or to give Truba and Myers the upper hand in the negotiation. I think Winnipeg maintains a lot of strength in those negotiations, having Niku and, uh, and Pullman. So 
it does uh, make things a little interesting there. It also makes, uh, and, and I mean, there's also some talent up front that you could move. Uh, a guy like a Brian Little, a guy like a Matthew Perot, if you can package these up for some talent, they might be looking to do that, especially with what you what we have in the system down in the AHL. Um, I don't know what the goaltending situation is going to look like next year. We have this young up-and-coming prospect who keeps amazing me, uh, Mikhail Burden um, with the Moose, um, who's an amazing puck handler, amazing puck handler. If you get the chance to see him play with the Moose, do it. He's Watching him handle the puck is incredible. He's like a better puck handler than all of his defensemen. Uh, but an unreal player. Uh, and having a guy like Mikhail Burden in the system and the numbers he put up this year, he ain't going to back up anybody at the Moose. And I think he's going to tell the team that, the organization that is like, look, I'm nobody's backup anymore. Sorry. Um, I think the Moose tried to alleviate that a little bit, and they kind of gave Comrie a lot of awards at their awards ceremony this year. I think it was kind of a thank you for your service. Thank you for being, you know, the backbone essentially of this team. You really have been. Since you've been, since we've been back, you've been the staple on the team. Yeah, you've had to share the goalie duties with Hellebuck and at one time Pavlik. <coughs> but you've always been here. And you've been our guy now for a couple of years. So we thank you for that. But I think we all I think the team needs to move on from them. And I think Comrie himself does. Um, if he wants to have a crack at an NHL job, I don't know if it happens with the Jets. Because I don't know if he, I'm ready to see him move up to the Jets over Burden or Burdine, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, but Burden, I think, deserves that chance. So I think you can package up a guy like um, Brian Little. And it was funny. I was with Jess watching the hockey game when Brian Little scored the goal to make it 3-2 to two in the eventual elimination uh, game six against St. Louis. And I said, the ironic thing here is that this is the last goal he scores. This, like, if, if the game ends up 3-2 to two here... Um, not only is that the the la, is that his last goal of the season naturally, but that could very well be his last goal we ever see him score in a Jet uniform. I think Brian Little um, is one of those guys now at his age. You could package him up. Um, other teams would be willing to have him develop some time. I could see Calgary making a move, um, making an interesting trade partner there, um, getting Little uh, for some of the Calgary younger talent. Um, it would be an interesting package for package deal, I believe. Um, Calgary kind of took a gamble on James Neal this year and ended up sitting him. Uh, and as James Neal says, I want to be a top six player. Um, and they're paying him top six money. So it's kind of weird that you're going to pay a guy that kind of money and then sit him in the playoffs. So I don't know what's going on there. That being said, yeah, I think Brian Lowe's played his last game in the Jets. I think Maurice is going to be finding gainful employment somewhere else in the NHL. Uh, but... I mean, Alain Vigneault, I think, got hired somewhere I overheard. So, I mean, that would have been a great choice for coaching in Winnipeg. But with Quenville gone, as I said, I could have seen a merry-go-round situation happen here um, with Babcock moving to Winnipeg, Quenville to Toronto, um, and Maurice somewhere else. Um, but um, even Maurice moving to like a place like Edmonton, um, I don't know how much desire Ken Hitchcock has to come back and coach a full season next year. Um, apparently he's from Edmonton, uh, from Edmonton, lives in Edmonton, kind of did it as a, I happen to be in the area, why not kind of thing. But you can see his visible frustration um, and he appeared to be done with coaching uh, by the end of the year. So when all of that's considered and factored in, I, I truly believe you have a situation there where 
yeah, there might be a vacancy there, and and maybe that's where a guy like uh, Quinn Vogel um, goes. Um, Tom McClellan, I think, was hired by LA um, as their coach recently, so that's another one of those top shelf go- um, or upper echelon coaches that's gone now. But speaking of those upper echelon coaches, you have an interesting situation with those big three, um, the ones that were kind of under the most watch going into these playoffs, and one that's kind of emerged now is I think is one to watch. Um, you have Babcock and Maurice, who I said were the two to watch and could be on the hot seat. But now you also have John Cooper in Tampa Bay. Um, Cooper's been widely respected by that Tampa Bay organization, and I mean, he's done some great things with Tampa Bay. Uh, they reached, uh, I believe, two conference finals, a Stanley Cup final, and now they got lost in the first round. But Cooper's a guy that hasn't gotten it done, though. That's the problem. Even Barry Trotz was looking like the guy that's a great coach, but never got it done until he got it done. And it's kind of reminding everybody, this is why I've been regarded as the best coach. This is why everybody, my peers kind of consider me the best coach. Um, and Barry Trotz proved it this year, getting the Islanders past Tampa Bay. Um, and again, if the Islanders get past Carolina, which I do think they could do, um, again, if Barry, Cro- if Barry Trotz coaches back-to-back Stanley Cup winning teams, and it's two different teams, I mean, how are some of these guys not looking and being like, show me the Babcock money? Like, show me that fucking money. I mean, even the, t- even the Pittsburgh Penguins coach, he got to back-to-back cup finals and won them both. Babcock didn't. Um, Babcock is one in three or one in two rather in uh, cup finals, one loss to Detroit, one loss to Anaheim and the one victory with Detroit. Uh, so, I mean, even a guy like John, um, John Tortorella widely regarded as a great coach. I think he's a multiple time Jack Adams trophy winner, Stanley cup winner. He has just as many cup rings as, uh, Mike Babcock. If he coaches Tampa Bay of all fucking teams to a cup. I mean, how does he not get uh, up there for consideration? So you have some of these coaches now that have that chance to really usurp Babcock now as being the guy. I've kind of thought Quenville, when he left the league, is kind of the guy now. I think he's that top, top, top coach. Three cups speak for themselves. Three cups in the modern era is the achievement that speaks for itself there. And with Quenville now occupied in Florida... What do you do? Do you see a shuffle around? Maybe a Cooper to Winnipeg, you know, Cooper to Toronto, Babcock to Winnipeg, Maurice to Tampa Bay. The odd one out there is Paul Maurice because I don't think he's on the same level as Cooper and Babcock. Um, might be on the same level as Cooper, actually. I think he's at least on the same level as John Cooper because um, ba- Babcock outcoached Peter Laviolette last year in my opinion, in that second round series uh, versus Nashville. Uh, Peter Laviolette's another interesting one. Depending the start that um, Nashville gets off to uh, next year, I could see a situation there where maybe, again, Nashville looks for a fresh message on the bench. I don't know. Um, But if they do, I mean, Laviolette's an exceptional coach. An exceptional coach. I think it's three um, teams that in his first year as their head coach took them to the cup final. Um, He's taken Carolina, Philadelphia, and Nashville all to the cup finals. (coughs) He won a cup with Nashville, ironically taking over from Paul Maurice. Um, But regardless enough, um, I mean, LaViolette would be an interesting choice here in Winnipeg. 
Uh, so there's some there's some interesting things. I don't think a guy like Ken Hitchcock's coming to Winnipeg. I think Edmonton was again a proximity thing, a hometown kind of thing, and that was that. I don't think Ken Hitchcock has the desire to go to a place like Winnipeg and coach, uh, but he might. Uh, maybe he likes Canadian winters. I don't know. But regardless, those are going to be some storylines to watch in the next couple of weeks are those first three-round exits of the playoffs. Those other kind of emerging storylines with the coaches, we need to see who gets to the third round and eventual Stanley Cup final to really look there. But I do see more and more coaching vacancies potentially being on the uh, horizon and uh, some personnel changes. So that kind of recaps, in my opinion, the first round of the playoffs. I think it was an exciting first round of the playoffs. The problem is, is that with a lot of the favorites all being gone and kind of the widely cheered for teams being gone, I, I, I wonder if it'll have now a disconnect for people, if people will kind of now go on with their summers. Um, it does make me as a poker player um, a little disheartened to see Vegas gone because I mean some of the bigger names would have been going to Vegas games. Um, <clears throat> Daniel Negreanu uh, famously skipped an event. Uh, last summer, he skipped the uh, 10K heads up at the World Series to go to a Vegas Golden Knights game, like, or to watch the game. Like, the game was more important to him than uh, playing the heads up. And I think he missed another event as well because of the Golden Knights. Um, he's a very dedicated hockey fan, fellow Canadian, um, or I guess he's a Canadian now turned American, but <coughs> Canadian heart hockey fan. Can't say I blame him. Uh, so that was just, I mean, his thing. Um, I mean, it's like anything to win a bracelet, to win the biggest tournaments in the world. You have to go through these players. Um, but at the same time, it's nice when you don't, it's nice when, you know, if they take themselves out. Um, but I mean, that's this, this episode isn't just purely talking about sport, um, poker and poker strategy. So I don't want to get into that, but nonetheless, um, I just, I wonder now, and the thing that would be interesting to keep track of is the attention that the playoffs get with the with those underdog teams if it's still as interesting if the media still gives it the same coverage with all these underdog teams being eliminated um with the last of the kind of original 16 um with um what's his name uh, boston still being in it i mean they're still one of those big bad favorite teams uh but if boston gets eliminated in the second round here by columbus could be interesting to see if Colum if you know if people just start kind of tuning out uh so th those are gonna be interesting things to see and and watch for as We've gotten into the second round now, and those big-name teams have kind of all been eliminated. Are people going to want – maybe it brings more people now to see the Cinderella stories. I don't know, but that's going to be something to watch uh, going into the second and third rounds. I guess San Jose is still around in the West, um, so that's true. Um, but let's make our predictions now for the second round here and moving forward. So since the first round got blown apart and my eventual pick for the Stanley Cup champion, uh, which I predicted Washington to repeat, is gone, we have to kind of start over again. So in the East, we have Boston and Columbus and the Islanders and Carolina. I predict Columbus to beat Boston. I think if Tortorella, I mean, they looked good last game. Uh, they made one sloppy mistake, but I mean, that's all you need to make against the Bruins. The Bruins are such a disciplined, smart team with such discipline, with such smart players. As I say disciplined, uh, Marchand uh, does have some antics, but uh, I do think if Columbus can get going, if Bobrovsky starts stealing them the series and Columbus gets up in the series, Tortorella seems to know what the buttons to press, the messages to deliver and when to deliver them. Um, I do see Columbus pulling off a second straight upset. Teams lose. 
Um, I don't think there's ever been a team in the modern era of hockey or the expansion era of hockey that's gone 16-0 and 0, uh, to win a cup. So let's be very, very clear about that. Um, but uh, regardless, uh, I do um, think, uh, yeah, we're going to be in for a situation here where um, I think Columbus gets past Boston. Uh, so that's the one side of it. And then I think on the other side, uh, with Carolina and the Islanders, I think, uh, the Islanders get past Carolina. I think they do so relatively quickly. I think Barry Trotz is a smart guy and he's going to quickly remind them like, Hey, don't let them as a Cinderella team get in this series, guys. You guys are just as much of a Cinderella story as they are and deserve that same kind of credit. So you know what? Fuck them. Let's go out there and win. It'll set up a great Eastern Conference Final uh, there between Trotz and Columbus. I think no matter who wins that one, we all win. Um, And at that point, it would be so hard to pick one. So assuming those two teams move on, fuck, I have to almost give the edge to Tortorella. I think if Tortorella can get a team to beat both Tampa Bay and Boston in consecutive rounds... Why can't they beat the Islanders? I think you see Columbus now in the making it out of the East um, as the dead last seed in the playoffs. In the Western Conference, we have San Jose and Colorado, um, St. Louis and Dallas. I think that first game with Dallas and St. Louis was about as close as you're going to see these games get and this series get. I think St. Louis relatively easily gets past um, Dallas. I think they could do it in four or five games. Uh, Bennington has found his stride even more in the playoffs now has been solid as a fucking rock. So I think St. Louis gets past Dallas. And I think they do so relatively quickly. San Jose and Colorado is an interesting one. San Jose. I think, I think that series between um, Vegas and San Jose took a lot out of San Jose, um, as evident by them losing Joe Pavelski. Uh, it also would have taken a lot out of, uh, Vegas, considering it would have been a seven-game win for Vegas rather than five. Uh, but anyway, and that Colorado top line is fucking looking good. Also, it's a redemption story for Philippe Grubauer. He was given the reins in Washington last year going into the playoffs ahead of Braden Holpe, um, who I believe was the reigning Vezina Trophy winner, um, but who kind of stumbled a bit. That'll be interesting, too, because, um, I mean, he's looked good. He's taken over that number one job in Colorado. Colorado's, fuck, they didn't look back. Once they lost that game one, they did not look back against Calgary. And they just fucking took it to Calgary. I predict Colorado getting past San Jose uh, to set up Colorado versus St. Louis. (coughs) Um, This would be an interesting one. My heart wants to say Colorado in that case. I mean, for sentimentality, Colorado's always been there for me as a team. And it would be just nice to see them return to glory, uh, much like we saw Tiger Woods win the Masters. Um, But I just don't know. If St. Louis looks good again, sometimes the juggernaut just wins. I'm going to have to go with St. Louis beating Colorado in that case. Fuck, does that set up an interesting case? Because Bobrovsky's stolen you all the way there. Bobrovsky's one of the is a world destroyer in net. I mean, you could see the Columbus Blue Jackets win the Stanley Cup this year. Um, I think the Stanley Cup will be by, won by one of three teams this year, though. I want to say that. 
I think one of Colorado, St. Louis, or Columbus of the remaining eight teams will be the winner. Um, I mean, that's almost like saying one of the, you know, one and two, but no, three, those are the three teams I think have the best chance. And those are my three. One of those three will win. If I have to, have to, have to make a decision, let me go with this. St. Louis over Colorado in the Western final and Columbus over St. Louis in the Stanley Cup final for Columbus to win a cup and Tortorella to get a second Stanley Cup as a head coach. And I mean, good luck. I mean, those press conferences are just going to get even better at that point. Uh, so I think that kind of, and I mean, if that's the case, you could even see a guy like Matt Duchesne get at the stand, um, get a con Smythe. I think if Columbus wins the um, the cup, look for one of Panarin Duchesne or um, Panarin Duchesne or um, Bobrovsky to get the con Smythe. St. Louis, I think it would be Binnington. I think it's going to be Ryan O'Reilly, Tarasenko, or Binnington that get um, that gets the uh, con Smythe. And if it's Colorado. Most likely, it's Nathan McKinnon that gets them the cup, that wins them the cup, and he probably is the front runner. I mean, at that point, he's probably run away with it um, and is getting the con Smythe. I don't think you see a situation this year where a losing player gets the con Smythe, and it's usually, I think, it's always been a goalie if it's been a losing player that gets it. I don't think any of the goalies right now have looked like, oh my god, this is like the best I've ever seen a goalie perform. To merit a losing goalie getting the Conn Smythe, I think the Conn Smythe trophy will be awarded to a player on the winning team. And I do just happen to think, <clears throat> as I said, for the three teams that I think have a shot at doing it, for Columbus, it would be Panarin, Duchesne, or Bobrovsky. For St. Louis, it would either be O'Reilly, Tarasenko, or uh, Bennington. For Colorado, I think it's most likely going to be... Uh, actually, let's throw Grubauer in there too. Maybe Philippe Grubauer is the one to do it. <coughs> um... So it could be either, but I think McKinnon's the front runner there. But it would be either McKinnon or Grubauer will probably be the ones that, and I'm saying this projecting ahead, like which players will take those steps to set themselves ahead of their teammates as being the ones to put themselves in a position to do it. Those are the ones I project being the ones to do it. Anyway, I think we can wrap this episode there. Um, but those are my predictions. That's my recap of the first round of the playoffs. Um, I thank you all so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Really, uh, it means a lot. So thank you all so much for tuning in this episode of the Seems Legit podcast. Thank you all for the continued and growing support here on the Seems Legit podcast. If you aren't already doing so, please follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at the dude Sunny D. Thank you all for so much for tuning in this episode. Take care and bye bye for now.